My name's John. I get to serve as the lead pastor here. If I haven't met you, I just want to say hi to you. I actually just moved here in December. I grew up in the Midwest, but my wife and I were living on the other side of the country. And when we found out about Connection Point, I have to tell you why I moved my family across the country to join this church. And it's because this church is not just some religious thing. It's not just some traditional thing where a bunch of people come to a building. This is truly a movement of people who are being transformed. And what I saw as I met the people of Connection Point is that these people love each other and love their neighbors like no other group I've ever met. So that's what drew me here. And I want you to know if you're our guest that we want to, we want to help you in life. We want to walk with you. We want to journey with you. And so part of what we want to do is invite you on this Easter weekend to join us like this on any upcoming weekend. Uh, today is actually part one of a six-part series called Be the Best You. And it's all about learning from God's word. How can you become the very best version of yourself? Well, today we'll talk about winning at the game of life. And one of my favorite things about this tribe of people is we like to laugh. We like to have a good time. So as I thought about the game of life, I remembered this video that I have to show you guys. It's pretty funny because it's an American football coach who shows up in England where they call soccer football, and he kind of struggles to understand the rules. Go ahead and take a look. Feel free to laugh along. <laughs> well, it's hard to win at a game if you don't know the rules. And I want to talk with you today about winning at the game of life. I don't know if you've ever played the board game Life. We recently got this board game at our house. There's a little spinner. There's a board that you make your way around on the game of life. And you get these different cards. Here's some of the cards as I was playing and looking at these with my kids. One card is you got voted the world's nicest person ever. So the game of life, you know, it's all kind of cheery and colorful. Here's a few other observations I thought, you know, the kids in the room should know that a tax refund, if you get a tax refund, this is a pretty normal tax refund of $50,000. <laughs> Another real, real uh, realistic comparison to life is that the professional athlete makes $50,000 a year, but the teacher makes $100,000 per year. So yeah, maybe that's the way it should be, huh? The newest version has a vacation feature, and so you can draw a card for vacations, and here's one of the vacations. It's a dolphin watching cruise. Pretty cool. So I was playing this game with my kids, and I was flipping through all these colorful cards, and I was actually thinking about you guys. I was thinking about your lives and my life and what we go through in life. And here's the thing, as I flipped through these colorful cards, and I thought about what I've seen as a pastor now and what I saw when for years I worked as a journalist and reporter and met a lot of people in the middle of tragedies. Here's what I noticed missing from the game of life. Maybe you can relate. I noticed that there's no card for cancer. I noticed that there's not a card for growing up without a dad. There's no abusive stepdad card. There's no getting abused as a child card. There's no... Marrying the person who you think you're going to spend your life with and it's going to be the best thing ever and then it ends in divorce card. And so what I want to talk with you about today is how can you win at the game of life when you've been dealt a card like that? How can you win at the game of life when it seems like the game is rigged against you? 
How can you win at the game of life when you have a setback or a defeat? You know, I was researching this last week. How many Americans get cancer? It's 38.5%, so almost 40%. So in rough numbers, two out of five of us in this room will get cancer at some point. And we tend to go through life thinking those are the things that happen to other people. Other people's kids get killed by drunk drivers or other people get cancer, but those things will never happen to me. But we go through life and eventually some kind of tragedy or disease or diagnosis or divorce or difficulty does come up on our card. And so what we're asking today is how can you win at the game of life when it's like that? Or here's another way to put it. How can you win at the game of life when maybe you realize I'm not actually playing the right game? At a time early on in my career, I was working so hard. I was kind of climbing up the ladder and I, I was so mentally exhausted from my work that when I'd get home, I had nothing left for my kids ever. And I remember my son Jack saying, Dad, will you play with me? And I remember telling him, Jack, daddy loves you, but daddy is so exhausted. Daddy's just not the best version of himself right now. I remember after telling him that, kind of hearing myself and realizing I'm not winning at life. I might be winning at my career, but I'm not winning at life. Maybe you relate to that. Or maybe you relate to getting one of those goals on the board. You work and you work for that spouse or that house or that job or that car, and you get it. And after a few months or a few years, you realize, I got it, but I'm not actually winning. Anyone relate to any of these struggles? Anyone else want to know the answer to this question? Well, what we do here every weekend is we open the Word of God to find His answers to these questions. So we're in the Gospel of John in the third chapter, and we're going to find Jesus' answer to this question. It's a story where a guy who has some level of success but is aware that he's not winning at the game of life, he comes to Jesus, he sneaks to Jesus with a question, and here's how the story starts in John 3, verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus. He was a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi or teacher, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. In other words, he respects Jesus. And maybe you're here on Easter and you respect Jesus. He said, your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Now, at this point, Jesus is actually going to cut him off. I wouldn't recommend when someone comes to you with a serious question that you cut them off But Jesus is God, so he's allowed to do that, okay? So Jesus, knowing where this guy is going, cuts him off. And he says here in verse 3, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, maybe you've heard this phrase, born again. Sometimes in America, you'll hear people say they were born again, or it's a born again thing. And you've wondered, what does that mean? Well, Nicodemus, he's wondering what this means because he's never even heard the phrase before. No one has said born again like this before. And Nicodemus is just totally confused. What are you talking about? In fact, in the next verse, Nicodemus says, uh, you know, what are you talking about, more or less? What do you mean? How can an old man like me enter back into his mother's womb and be born again? So now Jesus is going to explain what he's talking about. And what he's talking about is a foundational transformation in your spiritual life. Here's how Jesus replies. He says, I assure you, 
No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water, that's in the physical realm, and of the spirit, that's in the spiritual realm. And Jesus is going to add on in verse 6, he says, humans can only reproduce human life, but the Holy Spirit, that's the spirit of God, can give spiritual life. Now, Jesus and Nicodemus, they're going to keep talking. I want to summarize for you all that Jesus says to Nicodemus because it's really the message of Easter. It's why we're here. It's what Easter's all about. And it's this. Jesus offers eternal life. That is, you don't have to fear death. And he offers a new level of life here in this world. What does eternal life mean? Well, let's do a a little exercise. U.S. life expectancy right now is 79 years. That's the average age of death in the United States. So let's just round that to 80. And I want you to take the number 80, and I want you to subtract your age from it. So if you're 60, 20 years. If you're 30, 50 years. Make sense? Now, here's the thing. That number's coming for all of us. Some of you are in here, and you're like, I'm negative six. That happened at the last service. A lady came up afterwards. She's 92. She said, I'm negative 12. I said, you are in the bonus round. Enjoy the bonus round. This thing called death is coming for all of us, and a lot of us don't think about it till the very end. Some of us will spend 30 years planning for retirement, but we don't even spend 30 seconds thinking about what's going to happen after our final breath. And what Jesus, in this conversation with Nicodemus, he's going to say, you can be sure, you can know with full confidence that when you breathe your last breath on earth, you'll wake up in the kingdom of God. He came to give you eternal life, and he came to give you, in this world, a new level of life. So let's talk about that by zooming in on those two words, born again. What does Jesus mean by being born again? Here's what he means. You and I will be playing the wrong game until we start a spiritual life by believing in Jesus. You saw in that funny video with Jason Sudeikis, you saw him as an American football coach in European English football, and he can't win at the game. And I want you to think of it, actually think of the most famous NFL athlete you know. Some of the most highly paid NFL athletes. Think of Peyton Manning or Emmett Smith or Andrew Luck. If you think of one of those NFL athletes, if you were to pick them up and set them down in England and they tried out for a football team, they wouldn't even be able to make the team, let alone get a big salary. Why? Because they wouldn't be playing the right game for them. And what Jesus tells Nicodemus when he comes in, Nicodemus is essentially asking, you know, how do I get the most out of life? Jesus says, well, until you have a spiritual transformation, you're going to be playing the wrong game. You could get all the things on the board that look like success, but you're still going to be empty on the inside. I saw this illustrated over and over again when I worked as a reporter and as a journalist. And I interviewed and documented all kinds of people from homeless heroin addicts to billionaires and millionaires. And I saw over and over again that Jesus' words about life are true. And here's a, a really sad example of that. In 2008, I wrote a story about a guy who amassed a multi-million dollar fortune. And he had everything that this world says is success. He had won at the game of life. 
Uh, he had multiple homes, estates really. He had an estate in Aspen, Colorado. He had another one on Coronado Island off of San Diego. Multiple estates in Arizona, including right in the middle of the Phoenix metropolis in his front yard, he wanted an 18-hole golf course. So he just started buying all the houses around him, tore them all down, built an 18-hole golf course in his front yard. Maserati, Bentley, half a dozen other cars, beautiful wife, three healthy kids. He's in his 40s. He's so unsatisfied, he gets bored with his wife. He divorces her. He marries literally a model. And at age 48, with everything on the game of life board that the world and the TV commercials and our neighbors say, this is winning at the game, he was so empty He was so depressed that at age 48, he took his own life. I spent two months writing about Scott Coles after his suicide, and I interviewed his kids, I interviewed his siblings, I interviewed his ex-wives, I interviewed people who grew up with him. And the story over and over again is that Scott was a really nice guy, and he was the hardest worker I've ever met. And Scott, you see, he worked his fingers to the bone to amass this fortune, And I remember as I was writing that story, coming to the realization that this poor guy worked himself to death and he was playing the wrong game. Jesus talked about this. Jesus said, what does it profit a person if they gain the whole world but lose their own soul? And that's part of why today one out of three people in the world are Christians And believe that Jesus was God because when you start to study his words, they're deeply profound. And they ring true in every culture and across every continent and every civilization. And for 2,000 years, every year and every decade, this movement gets a little bit bigger. Because people who come to Jesus like Nicodemus find his words are true. And what Jesus is saying to us when he says, you've got to be born again if you want to win at the game is he's saying, I have something better for you than this. God doesn't want you to wear yourself out trying to get stuff that you think will fulfill you only to be empty and depressed. God doesn't want you dying alone. God doesn't want you afraid of death. God doesn't want you living an unsatisfied life. Here's what Jesus means by born again with Nicodemus. He's saying, Nicodemus... If you want to win at life, you've got to move from respecting me to encountering my power. And some of you are here on this Easter weekend and you think, yeah, I I respect Jesus. Maybe he was God. He was a good moral person. A lot of people who follow him seem like good people. You've got a respect for Jesus. That's good. Jesus says, if you want to win at the game of life, you have to move from respecting me to encountering my power. You need a spiritual transformation. I wonder, if God were real, you know, maybe you're here and you don't believe in him yet, if God were real and you could encounter his power for one area of your life, where would you want the power of God to encounter your life? Could you use it in your relationships? Could you use the power of God in your emotional well-being? Do you have anxiety or depression or discouragement? Could you use the power of God as you face a health struggle. Jesus, in this story, he's gonna say, this isn't simply about getting to heaven. This is about 
unlocking life to the full. And until you have this transforming moment with me, you're always going to be feeling like you're kind of playing the wrong game. Here's a question. I mentioned earlier, one out of three people in the world today are Christians. And that's not according to me, by the way. That's according to the Pew Research Center. It's a non-Christian research group. So out of 7 billion people in the world, about 2.4 billion claim to be Christians today. One out of three people. And all around the world, in rice paddies and in basements and in cathedrals and in churches like this, people are gathered to remember Jesus. Here's a question. Why aren't people gathering to remember Buddha or Alexander the Great? Why aren't people gathering to remember some other famous person, Napoleon or Shakespeare? Why is this movement, which is the biggest movement in human history, mathematically, why is it? And as Jesus continues to talk with Nicodemus, he's going to make some claims that answer that question. The first is that Jesus claimed to be God. We see this in verse 13. Jesus tells Nicodemus, after he says, you have to be born again, you need a spiritual transformation. Jesus says, by the way, I'm God. The way he phrased it to Nicodemus was this, the son of man, that's a title for himself, has come down from heaven. Jesus flat out claimed to be God. Very few spiritual teachers in history have done that. Most say that they are prophets from God. There's a famous scholar from Oxford. His name is C.S. Lewis, brilliant mind. C.S. Lewis specialized in ancient literature, old, old writings and books and stories from thousands of years ago. And within ancient literature, you get lots of religious stuff and spiritual stuff and lots of myths and tales, you know, about dragons and weird stuff. And C.S. Lewis was a specialist in this. He knew all these ancient languages. And as an atheist, he came across the words of Jesus in the Christian Gospels. And C.S. Lewis, as an atheist, started to realize this is different He's talking about Jerusalem. Jerusalem still exists. And C.S. Lewis started to see that Herod is a real historic figure. And all these cities and regions are real historic places. And then C.S. Lewis started to actually read the words of Jesus, and he found them profoundly insightful like no other teaching. And that's what many of us in here have experienced. But C.S. Lewis, he wasn't yet a believer, and he came to this conclusion, this Jesus of Nazareth who no historian doubts that he lived. Based on what he said, claims like this that he's God, he's either a crazy person, just out of his mind crazy, or it's actually true and he's God. As Lewis looked at all the evidence, he, he finally realized it's either one or the other. He's either totally crazy or he's God. There's not really any other realistic explanations. And as Lewis looked not only at the profound words of Jesus, but as he invited them to change him, he saw a change in himself. And then he looked at how these words have impacted human history, and he ultimately concluded Jesus of Nazareth was indeed God among us. That's what I've come to believe, and it has changed my life. And that's part of the transformation. If you want to get in the game, if you want to be born again, is believing that Jesus is actually God. Well, there's another big claim that Jesus makes, and that's part of why one in three people in the world are worshiping him today, and it's because he claimed that as God, he had come down to earth 
to fix our deepest problems. Here's how he puts it to Nicodemus. He says, as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, okay? By the way, if you haven't been to church in a while or you've never been to church, it's okay if you think that sounds a little kooky. I think it sounds a little weird too. Like what? Bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness. I was with you, John, but you just lost me at the snake on the pole in the wilderness. This is why I stopped going to church, some of you are thinking, okay? So let me explain what this means, all right? The bronze snake on the pole in the wilderness, Nicodemus would have known what this meant. Jesus was speaking his language. So let me speak it into our language, okay? This is this old story that the Jewish people had about all these people who God had said, here's what's right, here's what's wrong, and the people intentionally choose what's wrong. And as a result, uh, they start to get bit by all these snakes. So they cry out and they say, you know, we want to be saved from, from essentially the consequences of our mistake. Save us from our consequences. And so God tells their prophet, this was before the Bible existed, God now speaks through his word At that time, he spoke through prophets. And God tells his prophet, I want you to take some bronze metal. I want you to take a hammer and hammer that metal into the shape of a snake. Why a snake? Because it will be a picture of the people's rebellion. It'll be a picture of their evil and their sin and their judgment and their consequences. And I want you to hold that snake up. And anyone who by faith will look up to the snake for healing... The snake's not going to heal them, but by acknowledging, I need deliverance from my mistakes, they'll be healed. Kind of a bizarre story, but a very graphic story. In fact, most of the Old Testament, if you look back at it through Jesus' life, you realize God was giving us very visual, vivid pictures, because he knows we're picture, visual, story people, of what Jesus' life means. So uh, Nicodemus understands this. And I've tried to explain it to you, but now is the important part. Jesus says, just like that snake was pounded with a hammer to take on the sin and the judgment of the people, I am God among you, and I am going to willingly be pounded with a hammer and willingly take upon myself the rebellion, the evil, the rape, the murder, the lying, the jealousy, the cheating, the betrayal, the genocide, the warfare, the infants who've been thrown on rocks through world history, all the evil, all the sin, all the abuse, all the shame, all the guilt, I'm going to willingly take it upon myself and I will be lifted up on a cross and I will absorb upon myself the consequences and the right punishment for every mistake that every human has ever made. God, who is outside of time, chose to step down into time. And at a real point in world history, your birthday is based on it, even if you don't believe in God. The year of your birth is based on Jesus' life. And at that time, he took upon himself the punishment And the consequences for every mistake you've ever made, for every mistake I've ever made. This is what Jesus means by lifted up. And this is what Easter is all about. Lifted up. Jesus, who died in our place, then on the first Easter morning, rose from the grave, proving that he can defeat death. And not only can he defeat death, but where there's sin. You might not like that little three-letter word, but the idea is, when you know something is wrong or when you know it's not good for the people around you, 
or you know it's not good for yourself, but you do it anyway. That's essentially what sin is. And we've all done it at different times. All of us have. But through the power of the cross, we can get victory over that. So maybe you're here and alcohol started out as, you know, you just meant to have a couple drinks to take the edge off. You never meant to become an alcoholic. Or you just meant to have a couple clicks to kind of feel good. You never meant to become addicted. You just, you know, shopped a little bit and it felt good. You never meant to become addicted to shopping and have all this credit card debt. We've all got these different struggles that in our own strength we can't defeat. Sometimes it's on the outside and it's obvious, like alcoholism. Sometimes it's on the inside and it's hidden. But we've all got it. You don't have to pretend you don't in this place. And what Easter's all about is that in Jesus, we not only have victory over death, but we have victory over those habits and patterns in our lives. The bloody cross and the empty tomb prove that Jesus can defeat any evil in your life and in my life. A few facts for you. First, it's a fact of history. It's documented by non-Christians that Jesus of Nazareth lived, that he was a revolutionary, and that he claimed to be God. Second, it's a fact that the Roman Empire, which was a massive, muscular military force, sought to snuff that message out. It's also a fact that Jesus owned no land, had no army, had no political office, and predicted, we have the ancient manuscripts, that his movement would spread to the ends of the earth. It's now a fact 2,000 years later that his movement has spread to the ends of the earth. It's a fact of history. No one contests it, no serious historian, that Jesus of Nazareth was publicly tortured and killed in the heart of a metropolis, and thousands of people saw it. It's a city called Jerusalem. It's still there. It's a fact of history that the Roman military then put a guard around his tomb. Why? Because he had made these crazy claims that he was going to raise from the dead. And they thought, hey, maybe some of his kooky followers are going to come and steal his body and claim that he rose from the dead. So they put a guard around his tomb. No one contests that historically. It's also a fact of history that on the first Easter morning, that tomb was empty. Now, there are skeptics and there are naysayers who have theories on why. You know, maybe these fishermen and accountants and prostitutes who followed Jesus overtook the Roman guards and snuck the body out. Skeptics have lots of theories on how it got empty, but no one contests that it was empty because the historic record of the events that followed is undeniable. Now, Scripture says that in the 40 days following that empty tomb that Jesus appeared in his resurrected body. And hundreds of the people who had seen him tortured and killed saw him raised to life. Now, here's why I believe that's true. Because those people were so affected by what they saw with their own eyes. Can you imagine? Think of the last funeral you've been to. You saw the body in the casket. You saw it buried. If that person showed up at your house this afternoon, would you be changed? Okay, these people actually saw that happen. And so when the government said, we will arrest you, we will imprison you, we will kill you if you keep going around saying that Jesus rose from the dead, they kept doing it anyway. And they gave up their fortunes, they gave up their families, they gave up their careers, and here's why. 
because they had seen with their own eyes the power of Jesus to defeat death and they knew what it meant. It meant that every one of us can live free from the fear of death and every one of us can overcome sin in this life because of what Jesus did. I want you to imagine for a minute that somebody gave you the cure to cancer. You know, here it is. Here's this little vial. Imagine that you have cancer. You take it and you go in for your next MRI, no more cancer. What would you do? Well, I, I assume you're a good enough person that you'd start going around telling everyone you know who has cancer and that you'd you know, go to the government and anyone else you can to say, we got to get the word out. This is the cure for cancer. And what happened is even as these people were persecuted, and we know that Nero and other Roman empires would put them in coliseums and feed them to lions, put them out to fight against gladiators without any weapons, impale them on stakes and light them on fire. These crazy Christians kept going around telling everyone, I've seen Jesus raised from the dead and I'm not afraid of you if you threaten to kill me because the guy I follow, I just saw him raised from the dead. And here's what we know historically, even if you don't believe in God, even if you're a skeptic, here's what we know. Somehow, those people who were doing that were the ignition of a movement that has become mathematically the largest social movement in all of human history. So again, you can come up with different reasons. I've actually heard a really creative one the other day from one of my atheist friends. He said, maybe they all like hallucinated and had the same hallucination. <laughs> all right, man, if that's what you want to believe, go for it. I think believing that someone made all this and came down to help us is more plausible than them all hallucinating, but you know, take your pick. <laughs> Jesus delivered on his claims. How good is Jesus at life? He's so good at life that he defeated death. And where death has creeped into your life, maybe your marriage used to be full of life, but death has creeped in. Maybe your mind used to be full of life, but death has creeped in. Maybe your body used to be full of life. Wherever death has creeped into your life, he offers victory over sin and death. The one who defeated death wants to help you. You should know whenever you come into this building that you're sitting in what I like to call a living museum. You're sitting in a living museum because you see the people around you, they, they might look funny, they might smell funny, but the people around you, so many of us in this room, including myself, we didn't start out as really religious people, and we don't come here to play some religious game we limped into here because we were broken in depression or we were enslaved in addiction or we were drowning under discouragement or our marriage was falling apart or we were grieving a miscarriage or the loss of a loved one and we just, we limped into here and we turned to Jesus and we said, what if it is true? What if I can be born again? And what we have tasted and seen and now experience every day is that this message is true that Jesus did rise from the dead, and it's not just a 2,000-year-old thing, but that power is available today to all who call out to him, and that's why we gather here. I was driving my six-year-old daughter and my eight-year-old son to school on Friday morning, and Zoe, my six-year-old, said, Dad, why is it called Good Friday if that's the day that Jesus was tortured and killed? That's a really good question, Zoe. It was not a very good Friday for Jesus, was it? 
and I explained to her, we call it Good Friday because the older we get, the more we realize that age 79 is coming. And the older we get, the more we realize that even when we love someone so much, like daddy loves you and like daddy loves mommy, even the people we love, we make mistakes and we hurt them and we're just flawed people. And the reason we call it Good Friday is because that's the day everything changed for humanity. That's the day that hope became real. And on Easter Sunday, what we're doing is we're celebrating that not only did Jesus die for our sins, but he rose from the grave proving that you don't have to fear death and you don't have to be a slave to sin. Just a few weeks ago in this very building, we had 3,000 police officers in here, all in uniform. And they were all here, listen closely to this, they were all here for the funeral of a man who isn't dead. And here's what I mean. Deputy Jake Pickett, who grew up with some of you, had a moment like Nicodemus where he was born again. He placed his faith in Jesus as the one who is God and died on the cross for our sins and Deputy Jake Pickett was born again and he was baptized in this very church. And Deputy Jake Pickett, because of that, was given the assurance of victory over death, of eternal life. So did he breathe a final breath on this earth when he was shot and killed in the line of duty? Yes, he did. Will I breathe a final breath on this earth? Yes, I will. Will you? Yes. But here's the assurance for everyone who places their faith in Christ, whether they're killed in the line of duty, killed in a car accident, die from cancer, when a Christian breathes their final breath on earth, they're no more dead than a caterpillar who emerges from a cocoon as a whole new entity and being in a butterfly. We pass from this life into the next and we awaken the next life and we look back and realize that world was a cocoon. The pleasures I experienced, all of it was at the level of a caterpillar. And now there's a freedom, there's a color, there's a fullness. This is eternal life. And this is what God designed you to experience. And this is why Jesus came to give this gift to you. He puts it this way to Nicodemus. He says, the son of man must be lifted up, verse 15, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Everyone who believes in Jesus will have eternal life. I wonder, do you know you have eternal life? Have you had a moment in your life when you've believed at this level. I wanna tell you one last true story from my days as an investigative reporter. I heard this story and I was really skeptical, so I looked into it. I heard the story of another guy who was worth millions of dollars and had lots of success and was also depressed. Was so depressed that he tried all the different drugs and ended up addicted to the worst drug that's out there, meth. And he was so addicted to meth, he was suicidal. He was completely, he had, felt like he had no point to go on living. 
And this is a guy who made fun of Christians as part of his job. He was a well-known, famous guy, hated Jesus, hated Christians. But he was so broken, he was so empty, he had tried everything else, all the wealth, all the physical pleasures, all the, everything, that on Easter Sunday of 2005, he wandered into a Christian church thinking, maybe I'll try the Jesus thing. And on that Sunday, he placed his faith in Christ and he was born again. He walked into the church addicted to meth, abusive and suicidal. He walked out of the church a new creation. He looked the same on the outside, but he was a new person on the inside. As I read about his story, he said he went to a hotel room, locked himself in there for three weeks, and he just quit meth cold turkey. Now, I had done a lot of reporting on heroin and meth and all the terrible drugs, and I knew that, humanly speaking, that's pretty much impossible. And so as a professional skeptic, I thought, I'm going to dig into this guy's story, and I'm going to expose the fraud that he is. And so I reached out to him and his publicist, and I spent a few days with him. Here's the story I ended up writing about this guy. His name's Brian. Brian's uh, famous in the dark metal world. He's a world-famous guitarist for a band called Korn. So Brian has won Grammy Awards and everything that goes with a rock star's lifestyle he has tasted and experienced. And I spent four days with Brian looking for the cracks in his story to figure out where he was lying and what kind of fraud this was. And I saw Brian raising his daughter as a single dad because his wife has not been born again and is still a meth addict. I saw his stability. I saw his transformation firsthand. And as I looked at it from every angle, did he do this for money? Well, that can't be the answer because right after he got born again, he quit his band. Literally, there was a $5 million payout coming from their record label. And he emails in a week before and he says, I'm done. And their agent emails back and says, "Um, if you mean that, it's going to cost you $5 million. And he says, I don't care. I'm done. So he didn't do it for money. The transformation, as I got to know Brian, was real. One day he and I were sitting at P.F. Chang's in Phoenix, Arizona. And here's what he said to me. He said, John, I had $3 million in cash sitting in the bank. I had all the cars I wanted, a $200,000 pool, nannies, the nicest house, real estate in California, and I was miserable. I want to pause there because some of you are in here and whether or not you realize that every day you're waking up and you're deciding the trajectory of your life. And if you don't think about it, you might just go after what the TV commercials and your peers and neighbors say, this is a win at the game of life. And you might spend your whole life working your fingers to the bone to get those things. And maybe if you're really fortunate and work really hard, you'll get these same things and you'll be 70 or you'll be 65 or you'll be 58 and you'll realize what Brian realized, it doesn't pay off. It's not worth it. And God, God tells you this in love. He says, there's nothing wrong with those individual things, but if you think those things are gonna give you the win you're looking for, you're gonna be really disappointed because you're not playing the right game. But then Brian says this about that Easter Sunday when he called out to Jesus and was born again. He says, then I found God 
And I was like, this is all I've ever wanted. I didn't find what I was looking for in all that stuff. Now, here's what I love about Brian's story. 2005, it's been 13 years. The transformation has stuck. Brian is a new person. He lives by choice now in a smaller house. He's still using his gifts as a musician, but he's found freedom from his drug addiction. He's found stability as a dad, and it's all come because he believed. How was Brian transformed? Why was he transformed? Not because he respects Jesus as a teacher, but because he encountered Jesus' power by being born again. How do you do that? It's one word, you believe. That's why Jesus said, whoever believes will have eternal life. I must believe in Jesus to begin my new life like Brian has done and to secure eternal life like our brother Jake Pickett did. The transformation is free, by the way. You don't have to pay money to this church or any church to experience this. You don't have to go on a bunch of mission trips or do a bunch of good deeds. All you have to do is have the humility before God to say, I need this. And I acknowledge where I've messed up and I believe, Jesus, you were God. You did die on the cross. I believe and I receive. I want to be born again. It's as simple as that. So the question for you on this Easter Sunday is if you have believed. And my prayer for you, my heart for you is that you would leave here knowing that you have. Can I pray that for you right now? Father, across this room, you're working in hearts. And just like you spoke to Nicodemus, you forced him to make a decision. We know from the rest of the story, Nicodemus did believe in you. He was born again. Nicodemus was there at your crucifixion, and he saw you raised to life And it all happened because he stopped just respecting you and he encountered you as the most powerful force in the universe. He believed and was born again. Father, across this room, Lord, I pray that you will just give the strength and the faith for men and women to call out to you and say, Jesus, I believe. You don't have to have it all figured out to believe. You just just cry out from your heart and say, Jesus, I want to be born again. Jesus, I want to believe. I I do believe you're God. I do believe you died for my sins. Jesus, I want your gift of eternal life. Jesus, I need your new level of life here in this world. God, I pray across this room for born again transformations like Brian has experienced, like Nicodemus experienced, like I've experienced. I want you, as you're sitting there with your eyes closed, I want you to just kind of visualize your life, your journey as, as an old country road that stretches out into the distance. And you look back to your birth and these different milestones along this roadway. I wonder on that road of life, have you had a Nicodemus moment? Have you had an Easter Sunday moment like Brian did where you chose for yourself, I believe I'm gonna be born again. I'm gonna move from respecting Jesus to believing in him and being born again. And if you don't have that mile marker on your road, you can plant it right now. You can choose in your heart right now and say, Jesus, I believe in, and you can just plant a stake in the ground so that as the years go on, you can always look back and you can say, yeah, it was, it was Easter Sunday of 2018, 
That's when I believed. That's when the transformation began. You can believe this very moment. And then like Nicodemus who continued walking with Jesus, I'd encourage you, be back here next weekend. Continue in your journey so that you can see the results, so you can see the change, so you can taste the freedom, so you can live and win at the game of life. We're about to sing a song called Amazing Grace. And as we do, I want you to know what grace is. Grace is this word in the Bible. It means an undeserved gift. And as we sing these words, or maybe you even just listen to them, I want you to, I, I want to encourage you to just claim them. Pray them as a prayer from you to God. Claim them for your soul. Be saved today. Believe today. Let's sing together Amazing Grace.